if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to open to the book of Matthew as we continue our study in the series on the book of, or on the passage of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read Matthew 5 verses 1 through 12, and my hope is that you have taken and risen up to the challenge of at least one day a week of reading all 12 verses of the Beatitudes and to just begin to get this ingrained and saturated within your mind and within your heart so that uh, this passage just becomes uh, just so familiar to you that you even begin to kind of pick up the flow and the order of things. I'm not the best at memorization, and I'm even beginning to kind of almost not have to look down, but I always kind of feel that tendency to make sure that I'm not going to mess up the words. So let's look. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, saying, or, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now today, we're going to be looking at that second beatitude there in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. But as we do, often whenever I think of the idea of mourning, the first thing that comes to mind is this idea of, of crying and of tears. And over the last couple of weeks, I have used some song lyrics in order to kind of help amplify the point. But oftentimes in our culture and society, we have this sense of if you cry, that is weakness and that, that's something that we don't do. But I, I just wanted to see if some of you might be able to, to pick the, uh, the artist of this song because um, some, some, someone told me, they said, you've been picking a lot of more recent songs. Can you, can you pick one that's not as recent, so uh, this, this is for, for that request. All right, here are the lyrics. Uh, big girls don't cry. Big girls don't. Big girls don't. Big girls don't cry, yai, yai. They don't cry. Big girls come on cry. Who said they don't cry? My girl said goodbye, yai, yai. My oh my. My girl didn't cry. I wonder why. Any guesses as to who that is? Yeah. Frankie Valley and Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Now we get from our music that you're not supposed to cry. I mean, big girls apparently don't cry, according to Frankie Valley. And so, but there's also this wonderful, wonderful film that maybe some of you have seen. It's about um, well, well, we'll just show you the clip. But it's this pretty famous clip of uh, uh, of, of a manager talking to his baseball players. Can you play that for us? Okay. <laughs> Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Amen. There's no crying. There's no just no crying in baseball. But but we have this sense of like there's certain just standards and ideas of you, you can do this, you can't do that, you can't cry. And so we have this idea that sometimes in life, especially this sense of you, you just can't, you can't cry because to cry is to show weakness, is to show something that is, is vulnerable from within. And the reality is, is that for all of us, is that if we don't allow ourselves the ability to, to specifically to mourn, then we tend to bottle up that mourning within us when we don't show any kind of emotion. And the truth of the matter is, is all of us are going to mourn 
or grieve in some form or fashion. And generally, it's kind of in one of three ways. And one might be that you don't mourn at all and you bottle it up and it just explodes like a firework. And what happens is, is that we see in Scripture that that's not a healthy means of grieving and mourning, but we're also going to see a little bit later on that there are two other forms of mourning or of sorrow that we can demonstrate in this life. And my hope is that by the end of our time, we have a sense of, of what it means to know mourning in the sense of this beatitude, but also godly sorrow within our life and how it is good and healthy and appropriate. And, and when we do, when we genuinely mourn specifically over what Christ is speaking about and teaching here within the Beatitudes, that when we mourn, you become comforted or you become restored in who you are and how God has created you to be. Now, last week, uh, I had a little quiz for you and the prize was a watermelon. And so, uh, one of the things that I asked you to do was if you could fill in the blank last week. And last week it was blessed are and, and someone guessed poor in spirit. And so, they won a watermelon. And again, last week my wife got on to me because what does a watermelon have to do with poor in spirit? There's so much, I can't even explain it. But, so, I gave you a hint last week, if you were with us and if you were listening, that last week I mentioned to you that some of what Jesus seems to be pulling from when he's teaching on the Beatitudes seems to be being pulled from a specific book and chapter from the Old Testament. So this week is our second quiz. Does anyone remember the book and the chapter that I referenced? Yes. Isaiah 61. She is the winner. And what did she win? Well... I'll tell you, she won some watermelon Sour Patch Kids <laughs> because, I'm just going to be honest with you, I love watermelon, it's the best, but watermelon flavored candy is the worst uh, until they made these, and I was like, these are delicious, and my wife again was saying, how is this possibly going to relate to blessed are those who mourn, and sometimes when you eat something really sour, it causes you to tear up a little bit, and so there's the connection, and she said, that's just absolute garbage, that's a horrible idea, so she also wanted to give whoever it was a, a, a pack of Kleenex, and we went all out, spared no expense. These are on-the-go ultra, three-ply. And so here you go. You are the winner of today. Congratulations. Now, what I want to do is I've referenced, and we even looked a little bit last week at Isaiah 61, but I want to read Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2, and hopefully you begin to kind of see a little bit of how Jesus is using Scripture to be able to teach here in the Beatitudes. Isaiah 61 verse 1, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Another way to say that is good news to the, to the poor in spirit. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And so now, if, if, if you zoom in to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, this second beatitude, look at where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Can, he, can there be an element or a principle here of when we think of mourning in the sense of grief? Maybe we think mourning, immediately my mind tends to kind of go to the loss of, of a loved one. And so we think of mourning or grief. And I think that there is some element that we could see here within that. But more than anything else is Jesus is really building upon what we saw last week of blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we looked at that last week to see that that, what that saying is those who are recognizing and have an awareness of their spiritual condition without God in their life. 
that if you are poor in spirit and you can be honest enough to recognize that without God, then I am spiritually bankrupt, that I'm spiritually destitute. I need Christ in His redeeming work in my life. And when I do, when I can come to that moment of recognition, it's then that we see this kind of building and progression here of this second beatitude that once I can declare and be aware I am poor in spirit, I'm a sinner, then the second beatitude is when I recognize my sin, I'm broken over my sin. I'm contrite over my sin. I mourn my sin. And so when we mourn over something when it comes to sin is really what we begin to live out is the the proclamation of the message that Jesus was declaring at the very beginning of his ministry. And in fact, it's the same words that even his cousin, John the Baptist, was proclaiming in his ministry, which was just simply, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent is a word that we may not throw around as much as we used to, and even in church circles, it seems to be a word that we primarily use within here, but it's, it's a word that encompasses so much that we need to continue to use it. We just need to be educated into what it, what it really means, biblically speaking. And it's that sense of we recognize that we're going down a particular path, and then we become aware that the path we're going down is destructive, it's not healthy, it's not good, and God brings us to that awareness, and we turn, we repent, and we begin to go the different, a different direction. We do an about face, and we begin to go toward God and the things of God as He's gotten our attention. So when you recognize that you are poor in spirit, and that awareness comes to you that I am a sinner, then when I repent, there's hopefully a sense of mourning for your sin and its consequences. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are those who who mourn. As we saw last week, there's kind of that structure of the Beatitudes of the blessing and then the explanation. And so as we begin, the, the first thing is really just that blessing of blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are mourning the reality of their sin and and the consequences of that sin. And so as he continues on, he, he's basically wanting you, the listener there in the Sermon on the Mount, and us here today just studying and reading His Word, that you would repent of your sin. And what often would happen is if, if there's mourning, if, if there's a brokenness of you re- realizing that I have sinned against the Creator, then, then I'm grieved by that. And now, it doesn't always have to be this outward expression of grief, But I do recognize that there seems to be a lack of an outward expression of our grief and of our mourning of sinning against a holy God. We just don't seem to see it as much. We seem to be in a day and a time where we want to be careful that we aren't ruled by our emotions, but we do seem to be in a time where we're very big on intellectually up here, I grasp the reality of the idea and the teaching that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. Jesus came to this earth. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for my sin. He rose from the dead. I know it up here, but, but has it crept within your heart? Is it something that you, you've come to a point of, of recognition of this, this is bad? Like, what I, am, what I have done is not good, and I need to, to, to mourn this. And, and again, I'm not saying that there has to be this incredible outward expression of emotion, but hopefully something within you internally has a moment of recognition of brokenness of, of your sin. 
kind of give you an example. So years ago, I had the opportunity to, to work uh, at a summer camp, and I remember I had a group of fourth grade boys, and me and my co-counselor at the end of, of every evening, we would have a, a chapel service, a worship service. And whenever we would get finished with that worship service, we would take our, our cabin of about eight to 10 to 12 boys, and we would go to like a gazebo or somewhere, and we would just sit in a circle, and we would visit about we, what we had just heard to give them an opportunity to kind of also process the course of the day because for basically from the time they woke up to the time they went to bed, they were just playing games and learning about Jesus and playing games and learning about Jesus. So a lot to process as a fourth grader. And as we began to visit with them, they would share different things that stood out to them through the day. And then what I offered to do to them, which might sound familiar to you, is, is I said, Here, here's what I'm going to offer to you guys every night. You guys, when we're done here, you can go, go free time, go to the canteen and get hopped up on some sugar, and then we're going to try to put you to bed. And then, but if you need to, me and your co-counselor, we're going we're to stay here for about 10 minutes so that if any of you would like to sit and, and just visit a little bit more, maybe ask a question, we're available for you. And it's nothing new under the sun. I, I try to do the same thing here with us when we worship on Sunday morning because we just simply need to have a time for a conversation. You just need to have time to be able to ask a question and not rush off to the next thing. And I can remember all the guys, they took off, and then there's this one little boy, his name's Tommy. Tommy had the biggest head and the smallest body. He was adorable. And Tommy was just sitting there, and, and, and I just said, Tommy, what's up, man? Are you okay? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, did, did you have anything that you were wanting to talk about? Did you have a question about something? And he's like, well, no, not really. He said, well, actually, I do have a question. He said, he said you know how... Um, you know how the guy, the, 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 the speaker was talking tonight, he said, I, I've grown up in church where I know who Jesus is, and, and I know that he died on the cross, and I believe that he's risen from the dead, but he talked about how we've all sinned, and, and he said, I, I feel like I've made some mistakes, but compared to some of my friends and some of the things that they do, it just doesn't seem to be as, as bad. It doesn't seem to be as, as extreme, and he said that there's consequences for our sin, like God's going to judge us for our sin, that there's going to be judgment coming our way if we're not forgiven of that. And he began to explain this to me. I was like, hey, you're doing a great job, buddy. And, and I, said, I said, yeah. He goes, but do you think that's even true? I mean, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. And, and I said, Tommy, what do you think? I didn't want to give him the answer. He needs to figure this out. Oftentimes, what we can do in the life of the church is we want to give them the answer, but we need them to come to an understanding. So I turned the question on to him, and I was just like, well, what do you think? And he said, well, according to the Scripture, it seems like that if I don't give my life to Jesus, then, then I'm, not, I'm not going to be forgiven. And I said, okay. I said, do you want to continue talking about that? And he's like, no. Uh, he said, can, can I go? To, I, I don't want to miss free time. And I was like, sure, you can go. My co-counselor turned to me. He was not that age had anything to do with it, but he was a little bit younger. It was one of his first times working with kids. And he goes, why didn't you stick them, like sit them down and like tie them down and be like, let's give you Jesus. And I'm like, because we can't force Jesus into anybody's mind and anybody's heart. We can just lead them that way. And I said, let God work on them. And so I went to canteen and I got hopped up on sugar and I had a great time. And I came back to the cabin and our cabins, there was basically 
one dormitory, but you'd have like, you know, six kids that could sleep on this side, six kids on that side, and my co-counselor would be over there, I'd be over here. It was basically to divide the children so they wouldn't outnumber us too much. And I can remember coming back into the cabin, free time's almost over, and I opened the door, and Tommy is sitting just on his top bunk. And I walk in, I'm like, hey, what's up, Tommy? I said, did you have a good time, you know, free time? I said, what did you get to eat? Did you, did you get, you know, some sour straws or whatever those things were? And he's like, I look up and he's just crying. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? What's wrong? I had an idea. And he's like, I, I, just can't, I just can't believe that even like the smallest of mistakes of what I've done would, would keep me from God, but I think it's true. And it's just, it's, it's, it's making, making me so sad that I would grieve God. And I said, yeah, it is, it is really overwhelming, isn't it? And he said, yeah. And he said, so what do I do? And I said, Tommy, you know everything up here. But I said, Scripture tells us that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. Another way, just love him with everything that you have. And I said, my encouragement to you is, is you just talk to him and just tell him from your heart and from your mind what you would like for him to do and why you know that it's possible. And, and so I remember just him praying to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I've been a part of situations over the years in ministry where people have been broken over their sin. And I'm not God. I'm not judge and jury. I don't know anyone's individual heart. But my hope is that not just because there's this outward display of emotion that that means it's genuine, but that, that hopefully that is representing a genuineness from within their heart that God has gotten a hold of them. And so what I want to stress to you is, is two things. One, it's okay to have that outward expression of an inward conviction but I also know that there are some, I could use my brother as an example and others, who they're not very outwardly expressive. They're not very demonstrative with, with feelings and that kind of thing. And so you might say, well, I, I was never incredibly outwardly expressive of like grief or tears of the sin in my life, but I was convicted. Like I knew it was wrong and it, and it grieved me. Well, that, that's your brokenness. That's your mourning. It just may be different because we all have different personalities. We all have different ways in which we express things. You may not be the most demonstrative person, or you may be the most demonstrative person. That's fine. It's how God has kind of wired you with your personality. What I just want us to be careful of is two things. One, that we, don't, that we shelter ourselves from our emotions, or we go to the other extreme and we're just led by our emotions. That's why we've got to be careful. Like whenever we have songs and music, music is so incredibly stirring to the spirit, to the soul, and to the emotions that we don't want to manipulate anybody to anything, but music is also an incredible way to kind of prepare us and to soften our hearts to be ready to hear from the Word of God and hear what God has to say. So we want to use these things that God has given us. We just don't want to be led by these things. We don't be led by these emotions. And, and so, so bottom line, whether it's the story with Tommy or whether it's your story, is I would just simply ask you, have you ever mourned or been contrite or broken over the truth of your sin, that, that you would look and say, there's a holy God, and I, I've sinned against Him, and that bothers me, as opposed to, well, He's God. He'll be fine with it. No, it, it should bother us when we do things that are against a good and holy God. 
And yet God in His goodness says there's a way out from this, and it's called repentance. Now, I just want to share with you an overwhelming amount of Scripture that's going to be on the screen. And there's a purpose for this, because I want you to see how, how prevalent and relevant this idea of repentance is. And if maybe, if nothing else, that you would walk away and say, that is an attribute that is within my life. And so, if you can keep up with me, Kay, all right. We're going to go through, and you don't have time to be able to probably jot down everything, but we're going to go just one after the other. I'm going to look at my sheet. You guys look at the screen. But jot down the references, maybe even next to uh, in your Bible, Matthew 5, 4, and go back and look at these. But look at Job 42, 6. It says, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Psalm 7, 12, if a man does not repent, he, God, will sharpen his sword. He, God, has bent his bow and made it ready. It's basically saying, if you don't repent, God will bring judgment. Isaiah 30, 15, for thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. And he goes on, Ezekiel 18, 32, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Acts 17, 30, therefore, uh, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is I'm sorry, I just completely messed you up, okay. Mark 1.15, I didn't think that was right. Mark 1.15, in saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 6.12, they went out and preached that men should repent. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 13.3, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Acts 3.19, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 17.30, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. And finally, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And some of you may say, well, that, that's all well and good. That's interesting. Why share those 11? Well, one, it's not an exhaustive list. But two, did you notice how many times that the word repent and life, salvation, or refreshing were connected together? So many of us, again, as we mentioned last week, no one, no one says, unless they're just off, I want to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants eternal life. But apparently, uh, a qualifier for that is if there is no repentance, then where is life? If there is no repentance, then where is refreshing? If there is no repentance, then where is there uh, salvation? Repentance is, is, is necessary in order for us to have that qualifying attribute or element or characteristic in order for us to be comforted, in order for us to be restored. Repentance is absolutely essential. I mentioned to you earlier that there are a few different types of mourning or sorrow. Uh, I want to read to you another passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. And he says in verse 9, I, Paul, now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. 
in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. You go, okay, well, what does all that mean? Well, simply this. I would say that there are three, and there's probably more, but I'll give you at least three different types of mourning or sorrow. The first one is this, natural sorrow. Natural sorrow is this idea of the death of a loved one. That's just something that we all naturally experience and we go through. But then secondly, I would say that there is worldly sorrow. We saw that in this passage in 2 Corinthians. Worldly sorrow is a hopeless sorrow. Worldly sorrow is simply and only experiencing the guilt and the shame of something that you have done. It specifically says that this is the sorrow which of the world that produces death. It's the kind of sorrow that maybe you did something that you knew that you shouldn't, you got caught, and you're more sorry that you got caught than the fact that you did it. That's the kind of sorrow that you were experiencing. Or maybe even you did get caught. You feel bad not only for getting caught, but for what you did, but, but you're not moved beyond anything other than just guilt. There's a culture and a society today that is struggling with, with so much guilt and shame of what they have experienced, of things that they have done, and they feel bad for it, but that's all that they are experiencing, just sorrow. And that's heartbreaking to me that, that I want to point them to this passage from the Apostle Paul and say, that's a great beginning point. You feel bad for doing something sinful or bad, but don't leave it there. If there becomes what is the third type of sorrow, godly sorrow, this is repentance. Did, did you see what it says? It says that this sorrow, it produces repentance without regret. Godly sorrow, it produces repentance, and when you repent, it leads to salvation, Scripture says. That's why this idea, this notion, just this word, this study of repentance is so extremely important for you and for me. For some of you, it's important because you've never repented of your sin before, and you need to know what this means and what it looks like. For others of you, you have friends and family members that, let, let me tell you, I don't want you just to, to tell them that they're a sinner. I want you to point them that there is a sorrow for their sin that's not just going to lead to guilt, but it's going to lead to salvation. It's called godly sorrow. Oftentimes, the church can be guilty of don't do this and do that and shame on you, as opposed to saying, yes, that is wrong, but let me point you to the one who can save your soul and forgive you of that guilt and that shame. And maybe even today, some of you who have placed faith in Christ you are walking around with just a heavy weight of guilt and shame upon your shoulders. Like you are exhausted because of something that you have maybe done, even as a believer, and you're just wondering, can He forgive me? Or He can't forgive that. Friends, if you will come to Him with godly sorrow and conviction of what you have done, I believe according to the authority of Scripture that there is a repentance that produces no regret, it says, and it leads to salvation. I want you to walk away today having a burden lifted off of you because Jesus took it upon Himself on the cross. He took your burden. He took the, the guilt and the scorn and the shame, as Hebrews chapter 12 says, upon Himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you could have salvation. But the sad reality of it is, is as one man said, he said, America is laughing her way to hell, and some of you will as well if you don't repent and believe. Adrian Rogers is a preacher that some of you may be familiar with. He's with the Lord now. He had an incredible ministry. 
he had this statement. He said, many people are strutting their way to hell thinking they are too good to be damned. Many people are strutting their way to hell thinking they are too good to be damned. They haven't come awake to the awareness that they are poor in spirit and that this should grieve their soul that they have sinned against a holy God. But we have people that think they're too good. We have other people who might say, "Mm, I can admit I'm not the best guy, but I'm awfully generous. I'm awfully kind. I serve. I'm faithful. I'm religious. I'm sitting here today. I gave God an hour and 15 minutes of my time. This is pretty good. Of course he will shine favorably upon me. And what Jesus is trying to say is, I went through the cross not for you just to show up. I went through the cross to save your soul. I went through the cross in order that your sins could be forgiven. And the sad thing is is that when we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we will months from now, is that there are people who are going to die and they're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to specifically, specifically cry out to Him and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Lord, did we not cast out demons in Your name? Lord, didn't we perform miracles in Your name? I did all of this for you in your name. I'm as religious as you can possibly be. And he's saying, you're as religious as you can possibly be, but I don't know you because I don't have a relationship with you because you don't mourn over your sin. You've never repented. Now, that's the the truth of that we need to mourn over our sin, repent over our sin. But the good news is not just that we repent and we see that it does lead to salvation, but let's look at the second half of this beatitude. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Ultimately, when when you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus, you experience repentance and then really restoration or reconciliation, redemption. And what happens is the moment that you have placed your faith in Jesus, we believe, scripturally speaking, that for any who have placed their faith in Jesus, confessed their sin, that what you experience is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And another fun name or word for the Holy Spirit or the paraclete is helper or, or comforter. God is our comforter. And this is the explanation of what, of what Jesus is giving to us, is that you will be comforted. You're going to be restored. Repentance restores your broken relationship with God. And so that brings about comfort. Can can, can I tell you that when it comes to this idea of comfort, the first thing I thought of was I shared you with that story about Tommy. Remember big head guy, small body? Tommy, whenever he, he repented and placed his faith in Jesus, he literally jumped out of that bunk and he just attacked me. And I was like, wait, wait a second. You can't be on my bed. That's weird. And so I was just, I jumped up and I gave him a hug and I was like, Tommy, I'm so, I'm excited for you. And he was just weeping with kind of brokenness and joy in that moment. And he was like, I, 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 feel, I feel so good. I feel like a burden has been lifted. And I was like, that's great, Tommy. I said, that's, that's awesome. And, and he's like, I hope this stays forever. And, and I told him, I said, when, when you go home from camp, you're probably going to have some, some, some difficult times. You're going to have some great times. But I said, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, I said, God, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you now and forever. He's always there to comfort you. Even when it's hard and even when it's difficult, He is there. And you say, well, how, how is that even possible? Now, some of you may remember I got into the little technical aspect a couple of weeks ago 
And I mentioned just this, this, this term uh, called a divine passive. You don't need to remember that. You don't need to go down the path of what does all this mean. But I mentioned to you that there are four different verses in the Beatitudes that when you read them, because of the way that they're written in the original language, that you can, you can basically say that the way that this has accomplished this Beatitude is truly by God, because of God, from God. And verse 4 is the first one that we see. Another way that you could read this is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted by God. Because this is a divine passive. This is something that only God can accomplish. For those who are truly broken and mourning over their sin, you will be comforted by God. God brings you the comfort that you need. He's given you a mended relationship that's going to last for eternity. God and only God can restore, and so He acts on your behalf. You repent, He restores. You mourn, He comforts. That's your role within that equation and within this relationship. The second thing I want you to see, or the other thing I want you to see when it comes to being comforted, is it says that you shall be comforted. What that's encompassing is that you will be comforted now and on into the future and forever. It's an eternal comfort. It literally has shall be. It's a future tense. And the ultimate fulfillment of this is found in, in heaven, the final days, at the end of all things. Revelation chapter 7, verse seven, some, 17, some of you are familiar with this passage. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, no more sorrow. Maybe one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Revelation 21, 3. This is speaking of how the new heaven and the new earth are, are, are literally d- descending from heaven to, to have the new heaven, new earth. Chapter 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and He who sits on the throne, I love this, behold, I am making all things new. The people who get to experience the new the wiping of your tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. It's for the one (laughs) who had sorrow to begin with. It's the one who mourned, who recognized their sin. Now, I made the comment earlier that it's not just, I think, a mourning over your sin, but it's also a mourning over the consequences of sin. This isn't to get super personal, but as you know, we we lost our uh, sixth child in, in March. And I, I, I can remember experiencing that loss and that mourning and that grief. And one of the things that I pulled away from that and I took out of that was this baby would never have died if there was not sin because the consequences of sin is death. And what it made me hate was sin even more. That I see the consequences of sin every day of our life. You see the consequences of sin every day of your life. Just turn on the news turn on your smartphone or your tablet, and you you watch the news and you see, because of sin, there are devastating consequences all around us. Some of them are personal to us, and some of them don't even really have anything to do with us, but that sin just continues to devastate and wreak havoc. And the beauty is that when it comes to the end of all things, God wins, God restores, God redeems, and God reconciles because He makes all things new. 
So it doesn't take away the pain or the hurt that you are experiencing now. Nothing is going to replace the loss of a loved one ever. It's just not possible. But what I can experience in that moment is if it wasn't for sin, I wouldn't have had this loss, but because of sin, there is this loss, so I mourn sin, I grieve over sin, I hate sin, and the consequences of sin, and oh God, that means I want to cling to you because you are greater than sin, you forgive sin, you're over sin, and when you take your blood and you put it on the doorposts of my life, then the death angel passes over me in my life, and I get to have all things new. I get to be comforted. I get to have my sorrow and my mourning and my tears wiped away for eternity. And that tends to give me hopefully just a little bit, a little bit of comfort in the moment when some of us are just going through incredible heartache and loss. It's it's not to skip down into the other Beatitudes, but even Jesus, when he talks about persecution, he tells us to rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. My brother just the other week preached a sermon on this idea out of Romans chapter 8 and and it, just, it was such a good reminder and salve for me of are you living for this world? Or are you living for the kingdom that is everlasting? Are, are, you, are you living for, for just the here and the now? Or do you recognize that there is something greater that is coming? doesn't mean that you don't enjoy your life now as much as you can, but to recognize that something glorious is still on its way. So when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, he not only one is wanting you to realize your lack, but when you get to verse 4, he wants you to be blessed if you mourn. He wants you to feel bad about your lack, bad about your spiritual condition. Because when you feel bad about something, God can begin to move and work with that. I'll use my brother just because he's not here. If my brother came in here and he came up to you and he just punched you right in the throat and then he left and walked out this room and I was like, Dude, what was that? They deserved it. And no remorse. That would frighten me because you don't feel bad. You're a psychopath. That's what you are in that moment. Like, there's something off with you. If you don't feel bad over something that you have done, if there is some kind of thing that you have done that is bad, do you not recognize that it is bad? I want him to feel bad for doing something that is wrong. I want to see and need to see him mourn because until he mourns and recognizes that what he did was bad, then how can there be any movement from that? How can there be reconciliation? How can there be a restoration? How can there be a comfort? And so today you may be sitting here and go, okay, I agree. I'm poor in spirit. I know that I'm not okay. I know that I'm lacking and I don't feel good about that. That's a good place to begin with. I need help. And the help comes in the person of Jesus. The help comes in the person of God. The help comes in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. That though you have walked away and that you have hurt God, grieved God, sinned against God, God continues to pursue you. Some of you maybe would even be sitting here today and say, I feel like I have walked away from God. And some of you feel like this and you're sitting there in your seat or you're watching online and you're just having just the tiniest sliver of hope as you sit in your seat today, just wondering, just, just hoping and praying that though I've, God, I've walked away and I've traveled down all these different roads and I continue to find them lacking and unfulfilling and not satisfactory. And what you're wondering right now, is there actually comfort and grace for me? 
And the answer is, oh yeah, there is. It's when you admit your need and you repent of your sin, then you're comforted and then you're restored. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I just simply just want us to hear the cry of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry of repent. It's his first word, repent. Not, hey, I'm here. It's repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means time's short. You need to respond now. So my prayer for you today is that you would repent and be restored. You would repent that your sins may be wiped away in order that you would have time of refreshing that comes only from being in the presence of Jesus. It comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus. Repent and be restored. Another way that Jesus says it Another way that even Peter says it is repent and believe. So do you feel bad? Have you ever felt bad about doing something bad? Not just guilt, but godly sorrow. And according to Scripture, if you'll come with that kind of sorrow and that kind of grief, it will lead to salvation. Now, I realize that a great number of you, I know your story, and you might say, I've already repented. I do believe in Jesus. How does this possibly relate to me today? Well, I believe that the attitude of repentance that ushered you into your relationship with Jesus is an attitude that you should have until the day you get to see Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a very tangible way in which to go, yeah, I'm a part of the kingdom, because that same attitude that allowed me to enter in, I continue to demonstrate now. And so for some of you, maybe today, you are just overwhelmed, and you're just struggling with the guilt and the shame of something that you have done. Can I just remind you again to repent and believe that even, even the thing that you have done, or thought, or said, or committed, he's able to forgive and redeem. Doesn't mean there might not be consequences on this earth, but he's able to forgive and redeem. And so what I want to invite you guys to do is as they sing, it's your time to respond, and I just want to invite you to have an opportunity to pray where you're at. If you need to visit with someone and have a conversation, I'd be happy to visit with you. I'll be up here at the front, and we can set up a time to have a deeper conversation. But friend, I pray that you would repent and be restored in Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. If you guys would, would you stand as they sing? And you respond however you need to this morning to the Lord.